it's like that thing when like every, every like there's only one person not ready and then one person's group's like oh well if he's going then i'm just gonna go do this <laughs> yeah. person comes back and they're like where have they gone <laughs> oh well if they've gone i'm just gonna quickly finish this email and <laughs> <laughs> all right let's let's meet back in 30 minutes like yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no yo coming to you live from world championship in san jose welcome to the living legends podcast GLHF, good luck, have fun. Exactly. How's it going, everyone? And welcome to the... Oh, my God, I already messed up. <laughs> okay. Professionalism. Three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Four, fourth time's a charm. How's it going, everyone? And welcome back to the Living Legends Podcast, your weekly flesh and blood podcast where we talk about all aspects of the flesh and blood trading card game. My name is Kel, also known as Red Zone Rogue, and I am joined, as you probably can already tell by the extra person here, as well as the title and the thumbnail. You've already read it all. Uh, we are joined by special guest Joshua Scott from Legend Story Studios. Um, we also have Bill, Bill and Az, too, uh, but you probably know them. But hey, hey, Bill, do you want to say hi? Hi, I'm, I'm Bill, <laughs> as, as Kel just mentioned. Uh, I'm Bill from the Spike Feeders, and um, really excited for this episode today. Um, I have some some friends on the inside when it comes to talking about rules and policy with Joshua Scott. So uh, I think this is going to be a good one. Uh, I'll be able to, you know, prod him on stuff that I know that maybe not not other people, uh, not many other people know. So uh, because be Bill, Bill, you are a judge, are you not? Uh, yes, but don't. Uh, check my math. Um, okay. <laughs> I I decided to become a judge because I wanted to be like a, like a community person, and I figured that being able to help out in events and stuff would be really yeah. good. Um, I do not have the amount of time that I would like to uh, <laughs> really dive into rules and policy. I'm good at like I've I've done enough stuff that I could probably uh, apply for an L two, but it would take me a while to feel comfortable to take the exam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have done some not really judge stuff, but I've helped with some local events and I helped them run the stream and do some content. And then I helped the judges uh, deck check some people. So that that's my experience judging. I helped them deck check. Um, well, that, that's a little part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, <laughs> we have uh, Az, who is a diagonal for me in the OBS. How's it going, Az? I hope everyone's doing well. My name's Az from Go Again Gaming. And yeah, we've got Josh on today to speak all things rules and what have you. So we've got a lot of questions from the community as well. Um, so uh, there's going to be a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff to delve into today. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, and we, we may have buried the lead already. But uh, yeah, Josh is going to be here to talk about <laughs> rules and judging and all of that kind of stuff. So... Um, I won't take the words out of your mouth. Could Josh, could you explain what your role is in the flesh and blood ecosystem, like kind of who you are? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Joshua Scott. I'm the rules and policy manager for LSS. So that's my official title. Um, I fit into a whole bunch of areas within the company and the development pipeline. So obviously I maintain the rules and policy documents, like the uh, comprehensive rules, the tournament rules and policy, the penalties and procedure guide. Um, also work a lot with uh, the proofing as well. So uh, once, you know, I work with um, James developing the new mechanics for the games um, and sets coming up. And then once the developers have, uh, you know, 
uh, finished chewing up the set and spitting out an amazing product, I just, you know, take it that little bit extra fur, uh, extra step and make sure the uh, syntax is correct. And then I also consult with organized play team. So we uh, coordinate on our uh, premier level events and also our store events and work out exactly what needs to go into a lot of our um, uh, LGS documents and FAQs. And I also work with our awesome judge program manager, Klaus Lasseher, who basically uh, heads up a lot of our community aspects for our judges as well. And so I work with him to make sure that our judge program is as good as it can be. And, you know, we continue to work on that day to day and uh, continue to improve. So, And uh, I also uh, occasionally appear on podcasts as well as part of my job. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those oh, yeah, of you... Like you you may have seen some like charts that Joshua has made. Like you you made the the rock chart right with all of like a, like a flow <laughs> yeah. chart kind of thing. Oh you, yeah, you a couple of those I think. Yeah, I mean uh, I I do that in my spare time. Like I used to do that even before I became our rules and policy manager. Like it was just way easier to explain like certain interactions or how certain cards work or what combinations they could be used in if you just present it visually. Because as soon as somebody sees that, they you know can remember it a lot easier than just like a paragraph of text that I can write out. And yeah. uh, it, it's it's always fun to do because, you know, when you have something like rock and I was like, oh, man, like there's so many combinations that people aren't <laughs> thinking of. They're like they might have come up with one or two, but like, ah, bugger it. You know, I spent an hour just like putting images together. And I think it was even before, like we didn't even include like one or two of the cards that you could use with rock because it wasn't um, it wasn't released at the time. But it's just like, oh, OK, you know. About 15 is enough for people to point to and be like, look at all the cool ways you can use it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, you jumping off from that, you mentioned uh, that you used to do that before you got started. Um, how did you get started with LSS? Like, what, what was your uh, intro into this? Uh, some people even asked. So, okay, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, some people even asked if you had played other card games or judged other games before that. So... I'm just very curious onto your your whole uh, you know introduction into that as a whole. Well, I'll save you. I'll save you my backstory up until I got introduced to Flesh and Blood. But um, at the time, I was uh, I, so I've I've never really sort of been into um, card games before. Mm -hmm. Like you know, as a as a kid, obviously you collect Pokemon cards, you bring it to the schoolyard. You're like, oh, yeah, I'll trade my Alakazam for your Mewtwo or something like that, and you have no idea of the worth of anything. Um, you know, you've got your rubber band around, like your, you know, your cards, yeah. and stick it in your back pocket, <laughs> yeah. like throw it into your, throw it into your lunchbox, like. <laughs> so I've I've never really been in the the competitive scene, or at least you know, fully part of the community before. Um, and my friend who worked at a uh, an LGS uh, picked up the game, was like, hey, you know, there's this cool New Zealand trading card game. Uh, we'll play a couple of rounds. I played as Ira. He played as Bravo. Um, I absolutely caned him in our first three matches. And he's like, ah, oh, maybe I built the deck wrong. And I'm like, oh my god, this game is amazing! <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, we decided to go halves on it and, uh, you know, go go all in, trying to collect all the cards. And we thought, because I was a poor student at the time, I was like, ah, oh, I could have probably only afford to collect half of the pieces. Um, and so, you know, we, we started playing a bit, uh, went to uh, the first New Zealand Nationals, although it was pretty easy to get in because I'm pretty sure there were only like 100 players at the time. So as long as you were turning up to armories, like you, you got qualified. And 
then uh, I ended up ha- uh, moving to Christchurch from Wellington um, to basically for a job and there uh, wasn't as uh, an established scene or as much of an established scene down here. So I uh, started to get more involved with the rules online. It was how I sort of connected with the community. And I sort of found myself in this sort of niche space where there are a lot of new people coming into the game, especially around Monarch. Mm. And uh, I just happened to be the person that that knew, well, didn't know, but was the most vocal about how the rules worked. And uh, it seemed that people sort of latched onto that. And we got to the point where people were uh, messaging, or they were like, ask a question in the middle of the night in New Zealand time. And they'll be like, whoa, 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 let's just wait until Josh wakes up. Um, and then my alarm would go off and I'd immediately be flooded with messages being like, hey, Josh, this is what you missed last night. Does does this interaction work? What happens if somebody plays this and this is in play? Um, and it would just be part of my daily routine. I like wake up, answer questions, go to work, answer questions, come back, answer questions. And then, um, yeah, we got to the point where uh, uh, I was interested in becoming a judge. There was no proper judge program at the time. Um, so I messaged someone uh, that I tangibly knew in LSS, which was um, Sasha Markovic. Mm, yeah. And he was like, oh, well, like this, you know, this is calling coming up. Why don't you, um, why don't you like put your hand up to be a judge? I'm like, okay, sure. Why not? So I went up there. And um, I, d- I didn't get like, I didn't expect to get paid or anything. Like I literally just wanted to be part of the community and just put my put myself forward to become a judge and be there for community because it's just what I wanted to do. And I went up there and I, I came up with a couple of questions that I was like, oh, well, I'm going to meet with James, and Jason, maybe like it'd be cool to ask them some questions to make sure we get some clarification on some of the rules that we've been wanting. And we did the event and <clears throat> had an absolute blast. I learned a huge amount about judging, never judged before. Um, so everything was brand new to me and I was trying to absorb it like a sponge. And then at the very end, it was like everything was, you know, winding down. The top eight was going on. Um, some other side events were going on and pulled James and Jason aside and was just like, hey, look, you know, it's been an amazing weekend. Can I just ask you a whole bunch of questions? And they're like, yeah, sure. Like we've got some time. Um, and I started going through them and like you could see like James was just getting really into it. Like I'd ask them a question, be like, hey, like, you know, can you play an energy potion on the stack or the chain as it was called back then? Can you play it as a layer and then you can activate it as a layer because it's technically in the arena before it's resolved on the uh, stack as an item? And they were like, yeah, that's a really good question. Like, what do you think about that, Jason? And I'd have this back and forth. And then I'll interject and be like, hey, so... I got this idea, like you could remove it from the arena or, you know, here's a solution for you guys. Um, and I'm just throwing it out there. Like it's something that I've thought about. <clears throat> and so we, we talked about it for like three and a half hours. It was a huge amount of time. And by then, like top eight had wrapped up. People were packing up. LSS employees were coming to like sit down, waiting for James to be finished with this conversation. And at the end of it, I'm like, yeah, cool. Awesome. Thank you guys. Like, I really appreciate your time. It's been fantastic to be here and a judge and everything. And James is like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. So how much do you like your current job? <laughs> and I was like, uh. And Chris Gehring was there and he's like, ah, oh, you know, you, you, he's serious about that, by the way. Like, you, you've got to take him seriously about this. <laughs> And like one thing led to another and eventually I was like, okay, sure. I'll work for you guys part-time. And if you see like I'm contributing towards the company and you want to keep me on, like maybe we can work something out. But, you know, I, I'd never even considered a career in uh, rules of policy manager before. And I was thinking like, like, what am I going to do? Like I could rewrite the comprehensive rules and then like 
I'm done? Like, <laughs> what is there left? <laughs> but little did I know, I am uh, new work every single day, and there's always something. So, yeah, the rest is history. It became uh, part-time, then full-time, and then uh, a year and a half later, here I am. Nice, yeah, based on what you said oh. earlier, like, your, uh, all your duties, it seems like you're very, very busy, actually. So, uh... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that's such a cool. sick story as well. Like such a sick story mm. in regards to your passion for just wanting to be there, right? And then suddenly, <laughs> as a result of you wanting to be there, you're now where you are now. That's just like such a sick story. So thanks for sharing yeah, that. I, I mean, awesome. I think I think part of it is you know taking taking the steps to just put yourself in a position where those things can happen, right? Like, yeah. You know, not not everybody's story is going to be the same. Like, um, I can imagine that you know it, it'll happen again for Legend Story Studios. But like, you know, when, when you take the chance and you say like, you know, look, I'm gonna, I really like this, and instead of just being in my shell and my community and just you know hanging out with my friends, like, I'm gonna go make some new friends. I'm gonna go to this event. I'm gonna meet new people. I'm gonna talk with them. And you know, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna hide my passion about rules. Like, you know, I'll talk with rules for hours about anybody. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that's, you know, it's really important to make sure that, you know, you're engaging with the things that you want to and the way that, you know, really expresses who you really are. And, you know, for you guys, especially, right? Like, you know, you could, uh, you could just, you know, sit in your LGS and talking with your friends about how much you, you know, you like flesh and blood or like card games. Um, but taking that step to create a podcast and really sharing it with the world really sort of puts you in that spot, which gives you those opportunities to be able to experience so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I, exactly. I, I think hmm, I don't know how true this is for everyone, but a large part of success is being in the right place at the right time. I think, <laughs> and um, you know, being being also genuinely passionate about what you're doing goes a long way to to success as well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But it never never hurts to try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's a cliche to say, but you know, they they always say uh, you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. Right? You gotta you gotta go yeah, for that- it. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, let's start getting into some of the community questions. I have a handful here. Um, And literally, just to, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit, I just compiled all these questions from our Discord, from Twitter, and I just piled them up and I just sent them to Josh. I'm just like, here's the questions. (laughs) And we're going to go through all of them, almost every single one. So, um, we got like 10 or so. Um, So, the first question is... um, uh, the user says, I think a great question would be uh, the rules or rules interactions that Joshua thinks are the most often misunderstood or misinterpreted. So it really varies from event to event, especially like, you know, at casual level, there are obviously like really basic interactions that often get missed, um, especially with new players uh, who come, especially coming from like other TCGs like Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh!, um, at higher level events, uh, higher level events, it's a little bit different. Uh, mostly to do with like attacks and the combat chain and some certain timings around like moving from step to step. I think the thing that's mostly misunderstood. So th- there's two that come to mind. The, probably the thing that's mostly misunderstood is uh, what when effects or when abilities on cards are functional. That is like when they actually produce their effects. And uh, when you defend with a card. Um, people sort of get quite confused about whether or not the ability on that card is actually functional. 
and it's especially relevant now that we have phantasm for example where it's oh, like ah yeah. oh, you know i've i've done x this turn therefore it gains you know additional power uh, as a defending card and therefore it pops phantasm um and generally things aren't functional while they're defending but there are like very very you know small circumstances where they are functional and that's when they're permanents in the arena like you know um equipment weapons allies uh items um or when they have uh like a reference to defending on them so while this is defending or when this defends all those sorts of things um, and the common explanation for a lot of people is like, oh, it doesn't have text while it's defending. Um, and that's not true. It does have the text. It does have the ability. It's just not functional. Um, and like one of, the, one of the key differences there is it's, it's like um, uh, we have an assassin card, which is like uh, banish the top of the opponent's deck. Mm. Um, if you banish a card with base, go again. You can you know, get a silver. I can't remember exactly what card it is. Oh, uh, that'd be um, sack for shifty, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's that. Um, but it's like it, the card still has go again on it. It's just that go again isn't functional, and it's just like that for every other card. The cards still have the abilities. The abilities just aren't like turned on at that particular moment. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's quite nuanced because, it, I mean, you know, it, it, it has to be nuanced to be able to capture the, uh, the function uh, that we, we want to be able to capture. Um, but it's, it's probably the most misunderstood one. The other one that comes to mind as well is, is less of a rules uh, interaction and more of a tournament policy is uh, intellect penalties. People often misunderstand how intellect penalties work. Um, and it's like, you know, uh, if you get an intellect penalty at the start of the game, does it affect your opening hand? And when's your intellect penalty tick down? And how many hands are you going to have, like, three cards for? And, like, just the easiest explanation is just, like, put a, put a dice with however many, uh, however large of an intellect penalty on your, on your deck. Tick it down whenever you draw your hand. And then when it's gone, there's no more intellect penalty. Like, it's, it's as simple as that. But... You know, there are, like, again, some certain nuances about drawing hands, etc. Um, and, you know, people, like, accidentally might, you know, remove the intellect penalty a turn early or a turn late or not apply it to their starting hand. Um, so I'd say that that is probably the other misunderstood or misinterpreted part of the uh, rules and policy document. That's, that is very fair. Um, so I, I do have a, a question then, uh, just a little follow-up. Because uh, I, I think this is true. But I, I, I'm pretty sure it's true. But you were talking about, like, uh, like uh, you mentioned uh, Phantasm specifically. So could you pump a card? So let's say you play Art of War, right? You play Art of War to give your uh, attack action cards plus one attack and plus one defense. Could you then yep. defend with one of those cards that had base attack five and then pop a Phantasm? With the plus one from yep. Art of War. Okay, cool. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So um, Art of War has the text uh, attack action cards. You control, gain, plus one power, and plus one defense this turn. And you control um, attack action cards that you defend with on the okay. combat chain. So it would gain the plus one. So Art of War is one of those situations where, yes, it is It is sort of a an, you know an ongoing effect, and it does apply to the card, and it does give it plus one, and therefore it would destroy Phantasm. Um, but something like, um, uh, what would it be? Uh, Blood Rush Bellows wouldn't work because, okay. uh, when you defend with an attack action card, that's not considered an attack. 
so it gotcha. wouldn't get the plus two. Um, if you if you happen to be in a situation where you're playing Blood Rush Bellows in a defensive position, right, 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 um, which is got to got to consider these possibilities when you're uh, working in hypothesis. <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely. But I'm glad that at least that that was intuitive for me to be like the art award. It works with the art award, and so I'm glad that it works as I would assume that it works, which is good. It's always nice when when those. Uh, rules uh, yeah when when the rules line up with like the intuitiveness of the cards like that is that is perfect that's exactly what i want to aim for (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's perfect too especially since like art of war also pumps up the defense you're like okay like i could use this defensively it's like it's built into the card that you could use defensively so i dig it i really dig it um (laughs) so then what is your favorite uh weird rules interaction in flesh and blood if you have one there's this one that cropped up on the discord um a while ago and i'm 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 annoyed that i didn't spot it first <laughs> um but i absolutely love it so if you're playing as an illusionist and you've got a frost hex on you and you're trying to get rid of your frost hex what you can do is if you have um what are it is it crown of reflections or crown of Ooh. illusions or something like that yeah 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 so you can play phantasmal symbiosis you can name frost hex so it turns all cards that you uh control so all cards with that name into illusionist cards then you can activate crown and you can destroy an illusionist aura you control frost hex is now illusionist and it's considered an aura and you can put a card, an aura from your hand with cost zero into the arena. <laughs> so you can use Phantasmal Symbiosis and your Crown of Reflection, um, I think it's Crown of Reflection, to destroy a Frost X. And I'm like, that is the <laughs> most, like, it's such an amazing interaction. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm so, like, I don't often get jealous of um, people like being able to pick apart the rules, but when they find like really cool interactions where you sort down you think about it and you're like, yeah. yeah that works yeah <laughs> like yeah. I it's um, like the namesake of your prism deck bill isn't it <laughs> yeah. finding all those um, weird illusionist interactions <laughs> yeah so uh you you probably haven't heard any amount of the uh the going on that i do about uh this specific deck that i've put together but the uh the deck that I have is a prism aggro deck that <laughs> revolves around giving things go again that don't already have go again. Um, for example, the the reason that I made the deck was because um, transmogrify exists and being able to transmogrify a snatch with luminaris in play um, <laughs> is just great. And then being able to fractal replication after turning your snatch into an illusionist card um it's it's basically just a bunch of interactions that uh when you explain them in a rules context people are like oh does that does that work like that's gross um yeah and uh, illusionist is illusionist is just full of uh full of stuff like that like just um the one that the one that doesn't exist yet and the one that i'm sort of like um i have my eye on at the moment so it's a hypothetical that doesn't exist outside of ubf and that is um, Crouching Tiger and Fractal Replication. Hmm. So the idea is that um, if you happen to uh, give 
crouching tiger, the illusionist uh, super type, the illusionist um, class through, I don't know, like transmogrify or something, and you happen to be able to play it because you can't defend with it. Um, and then you play Fractal Replication. Fractal Replication copies the ephemeral ability. And then when the combat chain closes, Fractal Replication gets removed from the game. Oh, it doesn't get to the grave yet. It literally gets removed from the game. It doesn't go to your inventory. It doesn't go to your graveyard. Um, and I think it's the only hypothetical where you can remove a card from the game that the game actually started with. Oh, um, so I'm, yeah. I'm keeping my eye on it at the moment because it's just... It's one of those things where I uh, kind of wished I um, had pushed for Ephemeral to be a subtype as opposed to an ability just because of this fractal replication interaction. Um, but it's <clears throat> it's it's harmless at the moment. Um, I mean, like, but I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll be saying that in two years. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah. The only way to do that would be like with a go bananas or something, right? You like you're playing as an illusionist and you go bananas and you name crouching tiger and you open a crouching tiger from your dynasty pack and then you you take it in your hand. Like you could. That's yep. Technically, how I mean, you do there's. It? There's also that, and there's also Yorick, and it's like oh, it's, any every yeah. hypothetical works with Yorick. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. a little bit happy that Yorick exists now because it justifies me coming up with all of these weird cross-class hypotheticals that I used to do, and nobody was like, "Ah, that'll never happen." Like, don't make that <laughs> Oh yeah, I can imagine you getting like a weird message, uh, you know, like in five months or whatever, like, "Oh, this weird thing happened in this Yorick game. We have no idea how to resolve it." I could see that happening for, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah, I love. So it. yeah, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic exercise for judges as well, and it's like shapeshifter sealed as well. If you really want to test your like rules knowledge and your interaction knowledge, just play shapeshifter sealed with anything that includes illusionist. So oh, no. Mona, oh, no. oh, Dynasty. No. <laughs> I swear, illusionist. This isn't a question, but. Uh, is illusionist like the most complicated class to judge and to, to make rulings for? It feels like it is. I don't know if it is true, but it just feels like illusionist. Uh, yeah, ha hands down, I'd say. I don't think there's any any class that comes close. Um, maybe ninja and yeah. uh, what would be another class? Ninja and would wizard crack your top three at all? Yeah. Yeah, wizards, wizards fine once you understand the stack properly, um, yeah. but yeah, wizard, wizard is probably under just under that as well. I would say illusionist, ninja, and wizard are probably the top three. I I swear, Spectra has to be like one of the top top ones. Like just Spectra it's by also itself. Just kind of, it's also just like a feel bad mechanic <laughs> oh. <laughs> for for the person that is not the person playing the cards with Spectra. Like it feels bad to play against. I think is the, man. Uh... If everything changed when Spectra entered the game, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm I'm waiting with bated breath to see the next Spectre card that gets printed. I'm really curious. I'm very curious. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I know I know how much Az loves Arclight Sentinel, so... Uh, oh, yeah, I just love loading up that sort of 11 dominated red in the ledger and then suddenly just ALS. It's just like... <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> God damn it! I've used like seven cards, and suddenly no, it's not happening. Yeah, bro. As a as a fellow Azalea player, like I feel your pain. <laughs> oh, just horrible, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and even when they have they have library out, and you've got like loads of reds, and you just can't do anything about it. I'm just it's just. PTSD like, all why, over the place. Why did I play a red line deck? Like <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Using red line of the bow as well. It's just like what am I doing? Yeah. Like? <laughs> red liner, nah man. Death dealer all the way. Oh absolutely, yeah. 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 This was like like a year and a half ago when I was playing red liner, just trying some stupid things out. No, but obviously yeah. it didn't work. <laughs> but there we go. Yeah, you know. Fun you gotta, times. You gotta try it. You gotta try it. Exactly, um, yeah. So the next question is, and I'm, well, we'll just ask it. Have you ever gotten a ruling wrong or a rule wrong? Yes, of course. Everybody gets rules wrong. <laughs> Developers get rules wrong. James even gets rules wrong sometimes. Um, it's it's just, it's human nature to, to get rules wrong. And, you know, I tell, uh, I tell this to judges that, um, who, who get things wrong. It's like, you know, you're only human and... You know, we aren't computers trying to simulate a game, and you know, even even computers simulating games get rules wrong occasionally, and yeah. I think we all know about that. Oh yeah. But in in saying that, like, um, the one that comes to mind is a ruling that I gave on Double Ward from Sandcover. So I got this asked at I think uh, PT Lil, and this is after after the upright draft. Um, someone asked me if you could uh, play sand cover on a single ash. So you control a single ash and you play sand cover, sand cover. And somebody comes in with like an attack for eight. So you got two ward four on the object. And does the two ward four prevent all of the eight damage? And I said yes. And the reason I said yes, and I don't want to get too technical, but the reason I said yes is that uh, you've got an event of eight damage. And how replacement effects work is that all your replacement effects apply one after the other, modifying the event. And then when all your replacement effects are all done, then the event actually occurs. So it's sort of like a staging. It's here's this event coming in. Let's change it, change it, change it. And then it actually occurs. And so when you've got something like Ward, which destroys an object in addition to changing the event, I was like, well, I don't want any events happening while this main event is changing. So change, 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 change. The event happens. The ash gets destroyed. Um, and that would allow Ward 4, like the two Ward 4s, to actually work. Because Ward 4 changes it. The ash isn't destroyed yet. The other Ward 4 changes it. The damage isn't dealt. Um, and then it turns out, like, I'd made that ruling. I was pretty confident in it because that's how I wrote the rules, how I interpret it from the... Um, developers you know uh while we don't talk about every like edge case like i'd been pretty confident that that was how it worked then um some some time rolls around and it comes up again and again with it works that way and then i get word that one of the developers had ruled it a different way in like a conversation mm. and i'm like oh okay that's not something that i i i uh like to hear so doing my due diligence i'm like okay start up a conversation with the developers again um, and just make sure that we're on the same page about like this sort of ruling and then it turns out that they had never played it like that and uh they didn't want it to be ruled like that mm. and i talked to james and we decided okay 
because I had a, an issued a statement saying that this is how it worked, I kind of needed to backtrack a little bit. So um, that's what I ended up doing. I ended up uh, posting to all of my judges and Judge Hub, and um, I ended up getting my rules team to sort of help propagate uh, how that exactly works throughout the community. And then that filtered towards the players and events and whatnot. And so essentially what happens now is we have this concept called uh, sub-events, which is coming out in the next CR, which should be like early next week. And the idea is that when your event comes in and it's like, here's eight damage, change it up with the replacement effects. And effects like Ward fire off these sub-events of like, cool, I'm going to destroy myself to modify this event. So the sub-event occurs where this ash gets destroyed and then other effects start to apply to the um the event again and then the event occurs and so <clears throat> the reason i really wanted to avoid it in the first place was like you can technically have sub events of sub events of sub events and you can go down this chain of uh, what we call recursion so there are, there are some dangers there that um, now we have to be aware of when we're designing cards that we don't fall into these weird infinite replacement mm. effect loops, which I hopefully closed off now. But again, it's just another aspect of the rules where I interpreted it to avoid the situation. But now we've, uh, we have to open it up to allow certain interactions to uh, function. But yeah, that's, that's basically a, <laughs> a long-winded way of saying that I got a ruling <laughs> it's really interesting too i i wouldn't have never thought of that like the double the double ward thing mm -hmm. um yeah interesting. <laughs> and it, it only ever comes up when somebody like again i'm only i'm only one person and while i deal in hypotheticals um a lot uh i don't capture absolutely everything um like i think about fair basically 24 7 i dream about rules interactions <laughs> um <laughs> And it's only when people come up to me at these events or, um, you know, events happen and a judge has like this weird situation, do I start to consider a lot of these other possibilities about, okay, we need to find a way to, you know, to rule hard one way or the other so we can get this consistent throughout the community. That's good. That's really good. Um... I, think a, um, I think a question that sort of rolls into that as well about rules not being interpreted correctly or missed or what have you, like, I think it's... Um good to bring up like obviously event a lot of events are streamed now aren't they like live streams and what have you and there's always like audience watching people in the chat and sometimes the people that are there the judges the players they miss things and the chat will pick up oh they they miss this or they miss that is there is there like a, a plan or do you like as judges like take a notice of the chat in the stream or will you or was that something you would look at in the future do you think or so it's it's an interesting situation. Um, mm. So we've just published the uh, tournament rules and policy, and we've taken into a, a stream a little bit more in you know the policy of streaming into account. Um, from the from the players' perspectives, I think let's talk about the players' perspectives for a second. Yeah. I think that players uh, get a lot more pressure when they they come into stream. That's that's a fact, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you've really, got. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who knows how many people watching? You could have one person watching. You could have a thousand people watching. Mm. And, you know, every single dis uh, decision that you have becomes scrutinized. And, like, you know, it's it's one of the things that we have to take with a grain of salt that when players make a mistake on stream, it's a lot of the time it's not um, it's not intentional. Like, players no. make mistakes all the time. Um, but, it, of course, you know, through a stream, just like through text in a, in a Discord or something like that, things can be often misinterpreted and... 
Now, of course, that can cause a lot of um, harm to the players' reputations and those sorts of things. So, you know, when you're watching streams and players make mistakes, you always have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, and so from the players' perspectives, we've revised the uh, tournament rules and policy where um, essentially, you know, players can uh, refuse to be on stream during a competitive and casual level events during the Swiss rounds. Um, and that yeah. just helps ease up the load on newer players who, you know, uh, just get into the game and are probably going to be making a lot more mistakes. You know, turn up day one calling and like yeah. you're the, you know, 40th table and just because you're playing a unique hero, they want to put you on stream. and. Now, it can cause quite a lot of stress that, for players, That has right? happened in some of the coverage that I did. Like, we featured, um, like, a top-level player, and they played against a brand-new player, and they ended up making mistakes on, on stream. And um, luckily, like, both me and... I, I don't know if it was Tan and Grace, but my co-host, my co-caster at the time, uh, we pointed out, like, hey, you know what? They might be new. Let's give them a break. And, you know, we, we tried to ease it up on those players. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but when it comes to, of course, like you get to top eight, uh, you get to professional level events, there's a certain level of expectation that, well, you've reached, you know, you're, you're at the level, obviously, where you're comfortable playing fab. Like, nobody, uh, no one's going to be top eighting, uh, top eighting a calling, you know, the first time that they play. Right. It's not an accident um, that you got there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, you know, we, we have this rule now where you can't refuse to uh, be on stream in the top eight uh, or in a professional level setting. So, you know, pro tour coming up, um, you're in the Swiss rounds, you know, there's an expectation that, well, you've made it this far, you're going to be featured on stream. Um, it's yeah. the same with um, nationals and worlds as well. So from that perspective, you know, we've, we've taken into account like the player aspect of it. From the uh, judges perspective, it's handled with a little bit more nuance. Um, in, in professional level tournaments, uh, we, we, have, we have had a setup where we have a judge or a tournament staff viewing the chat um, for a stream. And the way it works is that the person viewing the chat is taking it like they're a spectator. And we have these rules where spectators are allowed to discreetly inform a judge of any potential uh, rules infractions. So, you know, spectators can't come and be like, stop, I'm going to call a judge because <laughs> I don't understand the situation, um, which, yeah. <laughs> which has happened so many times. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Fab is a pretty complex game, and when players are making shortcuts and the two players understand the situation, a spectator may not. So we remove the spectator from being able to have the authority to stop a game because otherwise we just keep stopping games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, having, having chat there is, is invaluable in some cases where um, you know, we, we pick up things either relatively quickly or we pick up things that may, um, may affect the game state later on. Um, but generally, uh, chat doesn't often at all stop the game. Um, and it shouldn't really influence the game where it's like, oh, look, he missed a beneficial trigger. We're not going to stop it for that. And it's the same with uh, judges um, viewing games as well. We don't stop beneficial triggers um, yeah. because as soon, you know, that, that becomes assisting the player and remembering something that would gain them an advantage. Um, and m missing a beneficial trigger, as long as it's not intentional, um, is just considered a caution. You don't get heavily penalized for it. So um, that's the other aspect to it. Um, so that, that's sort of where streams and chats and, and that sort of a thing comes into uh, these sorts of play. Um, the other aspect to it as well is uh, during an investigation. Um, so obviously when you're streaming a game, you might have a recording that is easily, uh, easily um, accessible. Um, yeah. And it's up to the head judge's discretion whether, a, um, 
whether the stream should be used as evidence or as part of the investigation into a fraction. Uh, quite often it's not useful. A lot of a lot of errors that cause judge calls is just miscommunication between players and not necessarily like where cards are. So a stream doesn't help in that regard. Um, but you know, if if the head judge decides that look, we actually need to physically see what motions you went through to be able to make this call, then it's up to them and their discretion whether or not they should use. It. Um, otherwise, it's it's sort of discouraged, and you should just go through the the process uh, normally, where you just you know interview the players, do your typical um, judge call uh, customer service uh, routine, and then you can uh, you know make a make a ruling out of that. Nice, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's it's like um like a like a sort of situation you can compare it to is like in football or soccer to the American viewers they have something in the UK now called ver- like a VR which is basically like virtual referee and it, I think it's kind of like ruined the game to a certain degree because they're they're always sort of blowing their whistle and saying oh wait we're going to check the screen to make sure it's all in and that's just like it just ruins the flow of the organic play of the game, you know. So it's, it, you don't want to yeah. tread on that too much, you know what I mean? So yeah, and I mean, like in in typical judge calls as well, like um, typically we you know we allow the players to be able to sort out a lot of the infractions themselves. Like when a player yeah. does something wrong, like ninety percent of the time the players can resolve it themselves. Um, and it typically comes down to a small communication error. It's like yeah, I'm attacking for seven. Uh, it's uh, six, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, six, this, this, this. Done. Easy. Doesn't need a judge to come in and, like, penalize someone or educate someone. A lot of the time, players can handle it themselves. Um, but it's when the players recognize that there's a, an error or a judge recognizes that there's a significant error that a player needs to be, uh, you know, a player needs to be penalized or a procedure needs to be taken to actually correct the game state that's when a judge comes in to, to resolve that dispute or, you know, make sure that the game state is clear. Nice. Um, all right. Well, I'll move on to the next question, which is, um, are you thinking about ways to help judges or aspiring judges uh, that are getting started on their journey? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like, you know, we... We've been very lucky with the community in terms of the judge program um, up until now. Um, you know, we've had uh, we've we've essentially dipped into the resources of uh, the resource pool of uh, many other TCG, many established judges coming in from other other uh, card games have come in and said, "Well, you know, Fab is pretty cool. Let's let's start judging Fab." Um, but it's it's not sustainable to only, of course, uh, rely on those um, individuals. Um, a lot of them have been judging for decades in some cases, yeah. Oh, yeah. and uh, you know aren't going to be judging forever. Um, and of course, like you know, there are always people coming in and out. So, in order to make sure that we we continue with the expansion of flesh and blood, and you know, continuing to support the community, we need to bring people in who are. You know, like me, who haven't judged before, may not have played Flesh and Blood before, into the the judging space, into the community, um, and it's not for everyone. Like judging is, is just you know one part of a person's passion, and some people don't have the passion for judging, have the passion for collecting or uh, you know creating podcasts or just playing, um, and so it, it takes a certain type of person to start really committing themselves to judging, getting into that sphere of being that particular pillar of their community 
Um, but we recognize it's it's so important to have those people there, those people that are knowledgeable about the game and are able to help facilitate those local game store tournaments and come to these big events and sort of really bring a lot of this community together. So one of the things that we've been doing, obviously, um, over the past year is to create adjudicator promos that with Hypanis, um, proclamation cards. Um, I don't know if you know, but we've already got, we've also hinted slash semi-revealed uh, two new adjudicator cards. I think it's yeah. um, Proclamation of uh, Abundance and the, uh, is it Therion, Magister of Justice? Yeah. I think is the, the we, name of the other adjudicator. Yeah, we sneakily saw like the art and like the name. It looks super cool. It's like, it looks very <laughs> yeah. like, light Solana kind of themed. Where was this? Yeah, I... I... <laughs> you haven't seen it, Ed? Dude, it looks, it looks like on, this on um, uh, there was some poster for um, I think it was Road to Nationals or, or yeah, um, Road to Nationals. something like that. Yeah, Therion's just kind of hanging out in the back. You can see the very top of the card. Yeah, um, oh, right. My my lore guess is that they're one of the High Council for the 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 Solana the Solana Solanian High Council yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um I if you have you seen the um the LSS staff playmat from uh, Worlds as well yeah so well, you you might you might notice that uh, I'm uh, I might be featured on that playmat similar get up as well so I was gonna say I, <laughs> I was gonna say I have it but that's that's a lie I have the old judge or I mean not judge but I have the old staff mat that James gave to me a while ago i don't think it has you it does it doesn't even have yeah now that that was yeah. that was before my time yeah um <laughs> has like sasha and um a lot of old crew on it yeah um but yeah no i'm I'm featured on the new mat and uh i don't have it here unfortunately but <laughs> i was very very happy to this time um but anyway back back to the point yeah, that yeah. we're talking about regarding uh so yeah we've been we've been looking at like a new adjudicator um, just to show our respect to like here's something cool we want to do for the judge community um, and we're we're revisiting that again this year um, so we're looking at how to make um, the judge rewards a bit more consistent in terms of you know when new rewards come out as well as looking into making sure that we, you know it has a certain level of collectability and uh, want from judges um, so, you know, we're taking feedback and, uh, at Pro Tour Baltimore during the judge conference, we're going to be announcing the new reward system, nice. um, that we're going to be trialing over the next, uh, year and then, uh, you know, seeing, seeing what happens from there and hopefully it, it becomes something that, you know, is, is desirable and gets people interested in becoming a judge and giving it a try and seeing what they can achieve and whether or not they want to commit to, uh, to doing some more in that space. Um, Awesome. Course, the... uh... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, because I remember seeing like um, at Lille and Worlds, I think there's like these um, these sort of contingencies of people in yellow in yellow jacket in yellow t-shirts. suits. So, so what was that? Was that a conference or was that like a like a like a briefing before the event happens? Like that. Those yeah. So. Like generally before an event, um, we have like the judge team, right? And the judge team is led by the uh, head judge. And so you have an appeals judge as well, which is like an assistant to the head judge, acts as a head judge, um, but just just like the the second in command. Um, and before events, we typically have a uh, a briefing with um, first our uh, you know appeals judge. We'll talk with them. Then we'll talk with the leads. Then we'll talk with all of the judges. And then the leads will talk with all of their group. So we have we have quite a regimented structure in terms of what judges are uh what judges are um 
available or what judges are, you know, uh, how you say, losing my words here. What judges are responsible for uh, what aspects of uh, what parts of the um, community um, uh, or the tournament or the event. And you'll often see that at the very beginning of events and also at the very end of events after top eight is finished as part of a debrief as well. Nice. Oh, okay. Um, sweet. Are there any, like, um, are there going to be any, oh, you might not be able to answer this, actually, now that I think about it, but are there going to be any new systems to make the onboarding process of new judges go smoother or easier or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're constantly revisiting um, exactly how we certify our judges and uh, how we're going to engage more judges. Um, we've obviously got our uh, Judge Hub platform. That's how we onboard new judges. Um, and while I've been a bit busy with you know, our rule and policy documents, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, later this year investing some more of my time along with our uh, judge program manager, Klaus, to make sure that it becomes as, uh, as entry-friendly as possible. I think we've still got a bit of miscommunication or a bit of, um, uh, you know, a... oh, we've lost someone there. Yeah, Bill, uh, <laughs> we'll give him a second here. He says, I think my computer yeah. froze, restarting. <laughs> I, I was actually wondering because he was just sitting there like, like for, yeah, for like yeah. for like three minutes, he was just like not moving just at all. Stunned, stunned yeah. silence trying to take <laughs> all this information in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if he's frozen or if he's just like absolute, just stone-faced. So we'll get, we'll get Bill in a second. We'll give him a second to come back. <laughs> no worries. Uh, that's funny. But, but yeah, no, the, um, the Judge Hub platform, like, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly revisiting a lot of um, what we can do there and how we can support our new judges. And, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to be looking at investing a bit more time and resources into creating those, um, the, the, you know, re-envisaging the platform to create a better onboarding experience and training experience for judges too. Because cool. um, it's a bit bit hard to say to people, oh, you want to become a judge? Well, just read this 100-page comprehensive rule right. document <laughs> and read the, read the 40-page tournament rules and policy and then take the level one exam just like fresh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's this tech... It's not realistic. Here's this technical manual. Memorize it, you know? Yeah, yeah. God. That's not what we want judges to be able to do. Like, you know, judges judges provide more of a customer service than a, um, a technical service. Like a, right. <laughs> a technical um uh technical you know fixing for games yeah and i'm just gonna wait a little bit here for bill to come back now because like the fact that he left messed up the obs so now <gasps> now josh joshua you are where bill is uh, as is still in the same spot but now now i am split because i'm on the bottom i'm split between your screen and, and my screen so i'm gonna leave some part of this in but i'm gonna cut 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 some so what what you now have to do is you have to speak in an American accent and a New Zealand accent, like every other word. You have to now do that. Oh god. Oh god. I I don't even know if I could do an American. Oh, I don't even know if I could do an American accent. <laughs> <laughs> that's not bad. That's not bad. That, that's more of like a southern one. Like as has Texas, like a, yeah. as has a very West Coast accent, which I guess would technically be what mine would be. Um, feel like technically what yeah. what mine would be. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you, that's a little more southern. You're you're feeling like a little Texas there. Josh has yeah, has just inspired me to I'm, do I'm, Texas. I'm just tr I'm just trying to trying to like think like I can't even mentally like yeah. think like how would I do an American accent? I don't imitate people's I, accents. So what like, are you talking I, about? I can't <laughs> even I can't do accents, but 
what we can do is we were uh, saying what in the last episode, like 100% necromancer confirmed, because that's something that Ian says a lot. And so you're trying to say in uh, a New Zealand accent, like 100% necromancer confirmed. Necromancer confirmed. 100% necromancer confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> in the next does he say Does he say ma- uh, mancer or mancer? Oh, I don't know. Necromancer. Necromancer confirmed. Necromancer. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, mancer. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, this is the other one that this is the other one that really caught me. You guys say banana, banana, and I say banana, banana. Yeah, I say banana as well. Banana. Yeah, it's ba ba na na. Yeah, ba na na. Yeah, we say like nana, like like you have a nana. Nana. So it's ba nana. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome back, Bill. We're just speaking about bananas. (laughs) Welcome back, Bill. Welcome back, Bill. Here we go. Banana. <laughs> Banana. Yeah, there, I mean, there's definitely a lot of those. Like, especially between, like, uh, the American pronunciation and then, like, the, the British pronunciation of a lot of stuff. Like, aluminum is one of them. Like, oh, you know, oh, aluminium. Aluminium. Al- aluminium. Yeah. Aluminium. And then, and yeah. then even, even here in the States, there's regional differences between things like tomato, tomato. Like, that's the whole, like... Thing. Yeah, yeah. I get, I get, uh, or I always get marked at, um, during uh our judge meetups like we we're talking before about like uh you know catching up before an event and whatnot mm, yeah and i'll be like all right you guys are on floor you guys are on uh end of round you guys deck checks mm. um so we make sure that we get these deck checks done completely <laughs> yeah. people are just like oh <laughs> 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 uh, i have heard and seen memes of that one there's like a video <laughs> like like the like deck repair video kind of thing like of a oh, guy who I has think... like a deck repair service. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, dear. But anyway, <laughs> welcome yes. back. Yeah, welcome back. Bill. Let me pull up the questions. Let me pull up the questions here. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I could still hear you guys for a while, but everything stopped moving on my computer. I'm like, mm. yeah, yeah, you, you were like, yeah, you were just like absolute stone face, just. For like four minutes or something while while Joshua was talking. <laughs> yeah, you can you can probably cut out a lot of my rambling to a bit of that space now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well I'll watch it we have never had, we've never had these issues before, have we? Never had like cutouts before. It's, Maybe it's because like there's literally four countries in the chat today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's me. It's because I'm in Christchurch. Nah. <laughs> we've had we've had Ian on a bunch of times, and he's from like. Uh, um, He's not from Wellington. Is he from Auckland? He's, he's, Au- he's Auckland, Auckland, Auckland yeah. New Zealand. Yeah, so he's, he's yeah. with the LSS crew up in Auckland. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm the only outlier in, in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, Christchurch is like... Oh, let me try to think. It's, it's on one of the extremes, right? You're on one of the, the edges. Of the tip. Yeah, so we're, we're South Island, East Coast. Um, okay. And we're in a, in a little sort of peninsula area. We're not on the peninsula, but we're right next to it. Um, gotcha. And we're we're like the we're the largest South Island city, um, and we're also called the Garden City. It's beautiful here, uh, albeit a little bit cold sometimes. I don't think anyone would contest that. I think New Zealand is known like worldwide for being a very beautiful country. So when are you okay. when are you planning to make it over? Um, all yeah, of you. When are you yeah. guys planning to make it over? <laughs> I would I would love to, I would love to come over. I know I know James has mentioned multiple times that he wants to do some sort of invitational at some point, and my fingers are crossed. I'm just like, please just invite me. I want to go to New Zealand. I want to go, want to, go <laughs> oh, to New God, Zealand. Yes. Um, sometime oh, that would be that would be something special. I tell you. Yeah. Uh, sometime I I will go eventually. Yeah. 
it's inevitable at, at this point, I think. Um, yeah. And I, I actually even, oh, no, I'm not going to get into it. I was going to say, even my old job, <laughs> in my old job, I had contacts in New Zealand because the, the, the dog food that I feed my dog is from New Zealand, too. Um, uh, uh, Zeewee Peak. And also Kiwi Kitchens, too. Those are both pretty good. New Zealand has very, very good uh, animal food exports. Uh, some of the best in the world, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, that's long before Fab even existed. I'll, 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 I'll take it into consideration, considering uh, <laughs> we're, we're thinking about what we're feeding our dog. <laughs> good stuff like new zealand has very very high quality standards and we're much more than other countries um anyway uh, I'm not, we're, not, we're not here to talk about <laughs> pet food <laughs> yes let's not talk about pet food anymore back to fab about the geopolitical situation pet food in new zealand anyway. yes <laughs> yeah. on to welcome to the pet food podcast yeah, pet food podcast <laughs> I, I really could talk a lot about it but this is actually a pretty interesting question. I think it's a, well, it's a fun question. So, as a judge, what card makes you shudder the second you see someone hold it up and say, "I have a judge question"? So, what's like the 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 the, the bane of your existence? I guess there's three of them now. Ooh. Um, so the first one is Arclight Sentinel for obvious reasons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know how many times like someone I like, especially uh, this is like just post monarch when i just started judging um and like i'd done some like local events and then like it was was i wasn't an official judge for local events i was just that guy for local events um and then like when i started getting into judging officially uh arclight sentinel was just ever present like it just as long as prism existed there was a some some person would have some question about arclight sentinel and what exactly happens and when they could play it um, especially like even with um, chain as well. So like chain would come in with uh, you know their soul shackles, and they'll be like, "Can I can I play Arclight Sentinel before this like last soul shackle um, resolves before they play an attack, or hmm. they let all the soul shackles resolve, and then they'll be Sentinel before we play an attack?" And I'll be like, "Nah, can't do that." Um, and then of course like all of the on attack abilities or effects. Or um, they all had varying levels of um, <laughs> of issues, and it just stems from Arclight Sentinel being uh, able to be played at instant speed. It has Spectra, and you ha are forced to attack it. Like those three aspects are just the perfect storm for creating chaos in the rules world. Um, yeah, and I... then uh, th the other two would probably be uh, Exude Confidence and Erase Face. Mm -hmm. um okay, yeah. exude confidence was just the 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 timing window between playing the card and its effect being able to like come into play and then um pumps as well like uh attack reactions and whatnot um and then erase face and this is something that is is still relatively prolific on the the discord is just like the difference between there being classes talents and the other like the other aspects of the type box which are the types and subtypes somebody would be like ah you know erase face um does arrow do arrows lose their arrows type and it's like no it's not a class or a talent it doesn't lose it you're <laughs> fine it still works as an arrow um so those those are the three that are the bane of uh questions that whenever i see any of those three questions mentioned i'm just like oh <laughs> here we go again like i understand <laughs> like, it i i i had the exude exude question myself because i play exude confidence or at least i used to and i used to play 
against uh, Steven Diamarmada a lot, and he loves Wizard. And so we had many circumstances where I play a pumped-up Exude Confidence with, like, a Nimbleism, so it's coming in for seven. And I'm like, all right, can you kill me? Like, you, is there a window in which you can do instance? And I'm like, yes, there is. But you have to do it now, otherwise, like, you won't be able to. Yeah, yeah. Yada, yada. yeah. It, it, was, it was just, like, every time I see those three cards, it's like, I've... It's it's not that they're difficult to answer. The the answers are relatively straightforward once you have answered them a couple of times. It's just that they keep coming up. Yeah. yeah. Um and yeah. while I you know, I try to be as, as zen as possible, like, you know, as 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 level as possible whenever I come into a judge like situation. Like, you know, we always teach our judges to be impartial and to be like uh assume the benefit of the doubt, like, you know, don't assume uh, don't assume ill intent until there's you know there's reason for it those sorts of things um so you try to come into judge calls whenever like with a zen face and then as soon as somebody like shows you all right so he's just played arc light sentinel and i'm just like oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh all right man. hit it hit it like hit me with it like let's go <laughs> i can imagine like arc arc light sentinel and a lot of like like, like for example, arc like Sentinel and something like Rosetta Thorn. You know, an attack that also has an another effect. You know, so like, yeah, um, or and, any of the and, other Rune Blade ones that also do arcane damage and that kind of stuff. I can see a lot of questions. Yeah, that, that happens often, and even things like uh, Rune Chance now as well. Oh, yeah, oh I'm so, so, so glad that we uh, errated Rune Chant to make it consistent with um, attack action cards. Um, so for for those of you who may not have caught my uh, errata bulletin, so we did issue an errata for Rune Chant and Quickens. Um, there's no difference between playing an attack action card and attacking with now. They both trigger Rune Chants, even into Spectra cards, so you don't have this weird situation where you have yeah. to answer, like, well, with attack action cards, it's different to attacking with a weapon. And... <sighs> I, 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 really, <laughs> I really like that change too because once again I feel like that's very intuitive the way it works now it's just like you know, you attack with something then they go off like it just makes makes a lot of like sense as a player so yeah yeah so absolutely good. yeah um, you kind of answered this next one but I'm going to ask it anyway in case you'd like to elaborate so this one says non-rule related things are harder to decide on like uh, penalties for mistakes and stuff like that should a judge proactively look for these occasions let's say for people going back on actions or missed triggers or wait for them to be called and does it change depending on the event size so yeah it does absolutely change depending on the event or not the event size but um the event type so like at your local armory and whatnot, um, there's quite often a an environmental understanding or a social understanding that everybody's there to have fun and help each other out. And that, you know, while while we do try to avoid people since I like really coaching somebody how to play the game, like basically, you know, exceeding them. Um, I think that there's there's a lot of room for you know really supportive and like growing uh, assistance that you can give to players by helping them understand things and avoid errors and issues and being allowed to take back you know things that don't make sense um, in those sorts of settings and that's why we have armories that's why we have casuals um, even at skirmishes uh, and um, I mean skirmishes are a little bit more competitive um, but. Even at like, uh, especially at like, pre-release events, oh, like yeah. 
if, if you don't let somebody take back at a pre-release event when they haven't read the card properly, like it just it feels so bad. And that's why like it's really important to make sure that events have that welcoming atmosphere, that really supportive thing where people like they have for fun. They're not there to to be the best there ever was and just shut out everybody else. Yeah, um, you need so... to crush your pre-release. <laughs> <You need to laughs> crush it. Absolutely correct. Like absolutely. I remember smash. for outsiders in particular, brush off was a card that a people a lot of people had to take back because it's worded in oh, such a yeah. way that it doesn't it won't prevent over certain amounts depending on the color. Yeah, I messed that one up. And, and they played it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, um, that doesn't actually do anything here. You can just take it back if you want. Like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And like, God, I don't know. Like, I. My game, I went, my local pre-release, like I think my games almost went to time every time because I was I was just happy to teach them how to play outsiders. Like yeah. I was yeah. sitting there, like take back every like almost every turn, just being like, oh, look, just hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't play this here because of so and so. You've also <laughs> missed this trigger. Let's just rewind a little yeah. bit so you can <laughs> deal more damage to me and make sure that uh-huh. you're closer to winning the game. Yeah, yeah. Or they're like, they're like, okay, I, I pitch three attack with my dagger. And I'm like, um, so you have a frailty token, and that means your dagger is attacking for zero. And they're like, oh crap! Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm like, do you want to take that back? That's fine. Like, like I'm not gonna but, be like, you have to attack for zero now. Like, absolutely yeah, already committed. But as as we said earlier as well, as at least, at least I said earlier, um, at competitive and professional, uh, judges obviously are a little bit more re- um, reserved in that regard don't usually interact with players unless we are called over from an infraction or in question or something and we don't intervene without being called see something that requires either a procedure that needs to be able to fix or something that requires a warning um as a uh, penalty or above or um sometimes uh things that require an investigation so we think that like oh there there might be like something afoot here or something that needs to be like some questions need to be asked sometimes we might come in and just ask a couple of questions about the game state um and then we've also got new and uh, tournament rules guidelines regarding the layout of the game just like obviously covering some very basic things about just not having tokens in the arena mm-hmm. um public service announcement by the way do not start your games with your token in the arena and then putting a dice on it to represent that you've created it. Oh, as soon yes. as that token is in the arena, that is a permanent in the arena. Keep it out of the arena if you don't have that in the arena. Don't even put it underneath your hero. Out of the arena. That's how it's meant to be played. It's good to know. It's good to know. I, I've, I've but... been guilty of doing like half of that. I'll, I'll have it face down, like in the extra <laughs> extra weapon zone or whatever. So it's good to know. No! Don't yeah i'll like like even even that i'll i'll be like look just just off to the side please we yeah, just want to keep fair. the game nice and clear and simple and uh you know we've had so many judge calls that could just be fixed by players not having their uh their um aura in the arena or their you know like seismic surge rune chance embodiments of earths um keep it out of the play space if it's not in the arena um, but like, you know, judges may come in and, uh, not necessarily, um, penalize you for those sorts of things, but be like, Hey, look, you know, uh, we just want to make sure that we're keeping a clear game space, um, especially for feature match events, like, yes. um, the coverage team and tournament, uh, officials are allowed to yes. dictate how the game is laid out and the flow of the game. Like they'll ask you, Hey, you know, we want you to put dice onto your attacks so that the stream, uh, so that the viewers know exactly how big the attack is. 
um, hey, here are the dice that you're going to be using for your tunic to make sure that we can't we can see we can't see your itty bitty little dice on there. Yes, um, and also removing any uh, enormous dice that might make their way onto the play space too. Um, so no big no big blue dice on your tunics or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the clarity is very much appreciated from the coverage side as well because I can say more than a couple events where we're literally watching the stream doing the coverage at the same time. We're like squinting at the cards. We're like, okay, is this a is this a, a blue like card or is this is it attacking for one or is it attacking for three? Like. And we just like kind of like make our best guess, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, everything clear is really th- good. And I think it helps with the players as well. Like um, this is just a little bit off topic, but we also um, did do a little bit on markers as well for uh, for judges, uh, not judges for players. Hmm. So uh, players being able to use markers a little bit more liberally um, without it being considered note taking, and that's just again to make sure they're keeping track of the game state to be able to have clear communication and it's not there for strategic advantage like it's not there to remind you that a trigger exists it's there to remind you like how many cards are have blood debt in your banish zone or like how you know big an attack is or like even things that um we saw in the last couple of pro tours uh was like kano like oh here's a dice to represent how much arcane damage how much arcane damage has been dealt for this turn so that we can actually track the blazing aether at the end of this chain yeah 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 I, I like that for like uh yeah, the aether wildfire in particular because you're like okay wait how much damage did the aether wildfire <laughs> yeah. do so yeah. how much is this coming in for and then you also did your 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 weapon to pump it up by another one and then you also yeah it's just like <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely. you almost need a oh, notepad yeah. at that point yeah <laughs> oh yeah absolutely and like you know the the rules are there not to penalize players or to restrict them from like clearly communicating that like you know we want to allow this communication but in essence fab is meant to be that game that really engages players face to face and you can't really do that both players have their heads down in a notepad every every single turn right yeah, yeah. um so it, it's you know it's treading that fine line and we're going to continue to adjust it as we as we progress forward and get this feedback but um you know it's it's one of those things that we're hoping will improve the uh players experience as we move yeah i actually have a good question to follow up on that uh so someone asked as the game grows and the problem space grows exponentially um, are you doing anything with automation or software to test out new card uh, rules and interactions beforehand? So there, there is something that I can say that we, uh, we are having the pipeline moment. Um, so before I, before I say anything, LSS remain a based game. Um, there's no fab arena coming or anything like that. Right. Um, but you know, obviously, we do have uh, tools available in the modern day and age to provide services online. One of the things that we are looking for is a learn-to-play experience in an online form, hmm. um, and we reckon that this this is one way that we can you know, still commit to our uh, to our philosophy of people playing great games in the flesh and blood. Um, but we recognise that especially in a lot of areas around the world, there aren't as many uh, communities, there aren't as many people to form communities around. Um, and to reach out to these people and to introduce new people to the game, having something like a, uh, a digital learn-to-play experience is one way where we can start to continue or you know, continue to grow and continue to reach out to 
a lot of the people who might find a home eventually in flesh and blood as well. Sweet, yeah. Um, and I can say as well that um, from the judge perspective, um, while it's not necessarily uh, automatic um, or automation um, and testing, uh, but we are looking at implementing something along of a proper card database as well. Um, okay. Especially as we start to get into uh, people being a lot more liberal with their altars um, and having multi-language uh, cards at turning up at like high-profile events, um, I think it's really important that we need to make sure that we have a ground source of truth that players and judges can refer to really, really quickly, um, especially on the floor as needed. Um, and it also opens up the pathway to being able to do things like um, online decklist submission and official okay. decklist submissions to uh, Flesh and Blood as well. So um, I know that doesn't excite as many people as uh, excites me, but uh, <laughs> I think that it's a, it's a step forward towards, again, just sort of solidifying the position of FAB um, as a TCG and in the competitive space and um, you know, taking a lot of these aspects a lot more seriously so that we can commit to uh, making sure that the player experience is as good as it can be. Yeah. Actually, I have a question that I just thought up. Um, since you mentioned uh, foreign language cards, and I know this is a thing that happens in other card games where they exclude foreign language cards, is that a thing that Flesh and Blood, do you think, would do or is looking at? Or are all languages acceptable at all events? No, it's... All languages are acceptable at all events. There, there's no requirement to go ahead and get the English language version. Like, I think, I think it's a bit uh, jank if you start to exclude specific languages and those sorts of things because we we don't want to ostracize or ex uh, ostracize or exclude certain communities based on the availability of cards in the region. Like, we really do want to embrace people and you know where they come from and the language that they speak. That's why we're putting so much effort in creating these multilingual um, in these areas, especially Europe, where you know obviously we can get by with English, but you know it's a it's a you know a hot pot. It's a cauldron of like multi speakers, um, and I think it was really cool to embrace um, you know their history and their culture and bring them in through flesh and blood with things that are personalized to to that sort of experience um and you know i think as well like we don't want to make english versions more desirable than any other language um, i can't speak on behalf of lss but personally i think that it's it would be a really poor experience to to turn up to uh you know a french lgs for a pre-release and then get french product and then being like cool i can play these at armories and nowhere else yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, it's important to make sure that we have, have this availability and that our cards are worth something everywhere you go. It encourages people to travel all over the world, turn up to, you know, Europe with your English cards, turn up to America with your German cards, turn up to Japan with your French cards, cause a bit of confusion, but you know, we will get there in the yeah. end. Anything for an edge, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. As long as long as it's not used for an advantage, it's, that's uh, included <laughs> yes. in the TRP. So, yeah. any yeah. any issues with multilingual excluded for advantage taking? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really great to hear too, because I know a lot of folks are coming in from maybe other card games, or they hear rules in other card games, and um, there are some card games, especially like Japanese ones, where like. 
you can only play with the Japanese ones in Japan. And if you're at a if you're at an event in the U.S., they have to be English. You can't play with the Japanese versions and vice versa. Like, so it's it's good. To yeah, play. and do that. And it's like you know, if you're if you're doing a non-official LSS tournament, you can create these additional rules if you want. But like for official flesh and blood, you know, official flesh and blood tournaments. You know, we still want to abide by our, you know, our guiding philosophy, and that is bringing people together in the flesh and blood through the common language of playing great games. Yeah. Um, and you can only do that if the people have the product to be able to play with it, not exclude them because they didn't bring the right language of products. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, and probably great for most of the listeners out there, because only about 40% of the audience here is from the US, so, you know, 60% is uh, international, so... That's really cool. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so if you're, if you're showing up to Worlds, wherever it may be this year, bring whatever language that you play in, which is awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. I cherish my absolute undertuckens in my day. <laughs> sink below. German sink below. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have oh, a, my gosh. I, have, I do have a play set of German Easter so... Yeah. 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 What's really? In German Goldschlager or something? No, that's it's called Goldschlager. <laughs> it's not called Goldschlager. That's that, that, that's a that's a joke that's for a everybody. Shock. Genus's new weapon, Goldschlager. <laughs> Gold Goldschlager would be a very funny pun to use as a oh, genus no. weapon name. That would be extremely funny. <laughs> now, you give, oh. now you give them ideas. <laughs> okay. Back on. Anyway. Back on track. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Is there a card that has yet to see competitive play that you think could cause a lot of rules questions if it suddenly became a format staple? Um, nothing particularly comes to mind. I think that there are, there are cards that like cause questions from time to time. I typically get asked questions about random cards that aren't in the meta from time to time from, you know, um, competitive players that I know personally or uh, content creators that I know personally that are sort of like trying to trying to get an edge or trying to deck or something like that. Um, I don't think there's any particular card that comes to mind that I'm thinking like, oh god, I'm so glad this isn't in the meta. Uh, like, judge team would have a, a field day trying to answer all the questions about it. Um, but But cards come and go as well. Like, We've seen it with like Wizard, for example. Oh, yeah. um, Wizard really was wild. It makes a splash at PT, and then all of a sudden that player is like the the number of questions the opponent has to ask about the Wizard player and Kano and like you know either Wildfire and Blazing Aether and like all of these like weird interactions. Forked Lightning, God, Forked oh, yeah. Lightning. Awesome. <laughs> that's a, a goodie, oldie, oldie but goodie. Yeah, pumping up it a Forked is. Lightning. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it's just like, you know, those sorts of, like, it, it's not that, like, a card uh, comes into the meta and all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of questions about it. It's like, there are cards, there are questions about it, and they come up when those cards are in the meta. Um, and it's the same with, like, Arclight Sentinel. Like, you know, if, if Prism ever gets a reprint and Arclight Sentinel comes into the meta, we're going to have a ton of questions about Arclight Sentinel again. Um, so yeah. we're currently enjoying the peace and quiet right now. <laughs> I can I can imagine like weird sideboard tech cards that are like really only for sideboard, like Snag and that chains one from uh, Arcane Rising that makes it so your opponent can't play or pitch a card yeah, or whatever. Chains of Eminence. Yeah, I imagine there's some um, weird yeah ones chains like of Eminence that could come up. Yeah, and there's there's also like cards that have received errata. Those also get a couple mm. more questions. Than usual. So things like um, Blizzard and Rune Chant and 
um, a few others that we've had to uh, regretfully issue a rider for. That makes sense. Yeah, there's uh, a, a subset of cards that exist so far that I feel like would be the answer to this question if you had like a hard and fast answer. And it would be things like, this isn't a good example of it because this one's pretty straightforward, but like effects like fog down where it's like, like um, cards that hose a specific type of thing <laughs> by changing the mechanics of the game. Um, mm. Fog down is a, like I said, it's just non-attack action cards lose and can't gain go again. Um, but there are multiple things like Cal said with like chains of eminence um, that when they start to change, you know, the, the core function of how the game uh, usually plays out is uh, from what I've seen, at least in other games, where you start to get a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, I like actually, this is a good point. On on that point, I think channel the bleak expanse is probably the 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 correct answer yeah. to the question. Um, yeah. So I've got it up here. Heroes can't draw cards, reveal cards, or search their decks from effects. Reveal yeah. cards and from that, effects. <laughs> that just ruins so many like interactions. Like, so does um, that mean you can't fuse then? Because you have to reveal the card to fuse, correct. right? Okay, yeah. so there's that. Yeah. You so you can't, can't pay the reveal either, either, right? Uh, no, you can't draw off Death Dealer because that's from an effect. And even things uh -huh. like Ravenous Ravel, you play Ravenous you can't reveal the card. Oh, so yeah. therefore the revealed card doesn't exist and X defaults to uh, zero. Ooh, nice. So Ravenous Rabble is full power. Yeah, so you wow. could go ch yeah. channel the bleak expanse, Ravenous Rabble for uh, five power go again, zero. Like, Sick. it's and it only works in like, there are some weird, weird things that it like ruins um, because like, draw reveal and search all sort of tie into a lot of other things um like you know you have ongoing effects that are low so effects that have like multiple different parts that are like do this then do this then do this um like even if you had a tutor effect um you can't search your deck right yeah. so there's no result from the search which means that you can't put it into your hand but you still have to shuffle and it's oh, yeah. like it's those sorts of like little things where like uh, as you said um as you said bill just you know things that change the rules of the game or aspect of the game really sort of start to mess people up yeah this is uh i'm, I'm pulling from my experience also this is something as flesh and blood uh expands and grows uh i think your uh indication that like there's something potentially in the works of like an actual online card database um that's something that i really appreciated as uh, a magic player back when i actually played magic because i would just sit with the huge catalog of magic cards there are and just look up every card that has this word on it or like this yeah. effect or whatever and i'd find these really weird interactions um and uh, and things like that that just have these you know maybe unresolved rules questions um that was the Gatherer, but, wasn't it? The Gatherer website, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Gatherer would be six the, the OG. Like but yeah. Uh, yeah, like that's... Obviously, this isn't something that I even I came up with, but there's a card in Magic. I don't want to belabor the point too much about Magic, but go just on, another... On. As an example of rules that can get out of hand. There is a single card in Magic the Gathering that can be cast while you are searching your library. Oh, yeah. Um like searching your deck so if there was a card like that where it's like oh while you're searching your deck on an effect you can play this if you want it's like uh, that 
like right now i'm pretty sure in the rules of, of flesh and blood that just like doesn't that can't happen um, <laughs> no but, no yeah. way that can happen exactly. um, <laughs> mean no I, i'm not gonna think about it <laughs> yeah. yeah i would recommend not thinking about like, it that card is an yeah. absolute nightmare um but yeah it would be stuff like that um which i feel like uh, maybe not that exact effect but that tangential effects or related like that style of effect where it kind of just pushes the boundaries a little bit in this card changes how the game works that'll be uh something that i really look hey. forward to as a as a nerd that cares about that kind of stuff we have that in <laughs> outsiders we have that card that you can block from your arsenal with an outsider this is yeah, true. down and dirty yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like honestly that kind of sounds like the question that i receive from james at 2 a.m in the morning asking me work <laughs> yeah. can, can we make a card that you can play from your deck while searching <laughs> yeah oh you, i get i get that more often than you think <laughs> oh. oh that's that's oh. exciting to me that he's just constantly thinking about what weird stuff can we oh, do <laughs> james james is uh i i i will say that I, i'm very happy to have james at the helm of uh, legend story studios in the development of flesh and blood like his he is a, a savant of so many aspects of uh, trading card games. And when it comes to like really digging into like new sets and new designs and new mechanics, like I'm always just astounded about what sort of things he's going to come up with next. Um, and it is, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to, uh, to be like one of the first people to work with that on him and, you know, help him make those things become a reality. Um, I said this on other podcasts as well, but like my my job isn't to shut things down, saying stuff isn't possible. My job is to make things work, and yeah. quite often uh, we end up making them work. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You're not the first one to say that too. Like a, a well, not about that specifically, but uh, Brian Gottlieb when he was on, he basically just said that James has a massive back catalog of ideas and cards that he's just been making for years and years so i can i can only imagine what he comes to you with sometimes you know <laughs> that's super cool uh well maybe maybe you'll see with some of this uh dusk till dawn stuff <laughs> I, i've heard rumblings that it is quite the spicy set so i'm very very much looking forward to it can't wait to see what y'all yeah. have in store it's gonna be really cool yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> um all right, so this is another pretty interesting question. Uh, are you satisfied with the current complexity of the game as far as the rules go? Um, if not, uh, do you think they should be more or less complex? Um, so I think the game is necessarily complex. Like I've I've heard this I've heard this either way. Like some people some people disparage the complexity in terms of saying, ah, oh, well, it's way too complex. Like there's way too many moving elements, effects, and interactions to remember. Um, but I would argue the same of any any solid TCG in in the in the space. Like you look at something like Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic: The Gathering. They have all sorts of mechanics and rules and. Yu-Gi-Oh has like I don't, little I don't even, essays on their cards, like little tiny. I don't understand. You know. I don't understand Yu-Gi-Oh. Like, I I've I've said this before. I haven't I haven't played Magic: The Gathering. I haven't played a single game of Magic: The Gathering before. Um, and that's just out of coincidence. I'm, I'm not trying to avoid it. Um, but I just never had the opportunity to. But I have read their rule book um six or seven times, and so I know how to play it. 
And when I got to Yu-Gi-Oh, I was just, I just couldn't. <laughs> it's just I, like, it's one of those situations where you you from scratch and like you know over multiple tutoring sessions to understand um and so i would say that like it's a it's a necessary not a necessary evil but there's a necessary complexity to the game of fab um and it forms the foundation for so many things to be able to occur like you know our hybrid cards um you know our mechanics of things like boosting and searching and finding and the go again mechanic which is so critical to our game space and being able to explore different ways to abuse it or um remove it or play around it um you know the different timings in the start phase like you know we want to make effects that can be responded to can't be responded to so there there is a necessary complexity to having a foundation for a game that allows you to keep adding adding stuff in, um, and it's sort of I view I view it sort of like chess, right? Like there's a there's a certain complexity to chess, um, and that like every you have to remember every like how everything moves. You have to remember turn order. You have to remember these other moves, these other like rules like on and like castling and promotion. And then that forms a foundation for, if you wanted to, being able to add new game pieces that follow similar rules but build on the complexity. Um, and then, you know, that would be in opposition to something like Go, where the rules are so solidified around one particular aspect, it makes it like nigh impossible to add in additional pieces without breaking fundamentals of the game. Like, you know, Go is so simple in that you can write its rules. I think it only has like, you know, seven or eight rules, depending on which New Zealand rule set is the best. But, um, you know, there's only so many, there's like a tiny, tiny amount of rules and the complexity emerges from it, but it limits a lot of that expansion. Whereas, you know, chess and like, you know, flesh and blood, you need to have a certain amount of complexity and a certain amount of avenues to explore to be able to start adding in these pieces and make it exciting and make it, you know, new and start to engage a lot more of these mechanics that have otherwise been left um, un unused. Like, you know, we look at, like, inventory, for example, uh, daggers and hurl and flick knives and whatnot. Like, that has been something that we've tended towards uh, Taylor being able to bring in equipment from her inventory. Yeah. Um, but now, obviously, it's sort of another aspect of complexity to the game where we've had this thing, this foundation, and now we've started to create effects that can start to really build upon it, really start to use it. Um, and, you know, it, again, like, we haven't even touched on the, the ability to be able to use the inventory yet. There are still many avenues that we can, but it's only because we have that initial complexity, that initial foundation, um, can we actually start to do that. Regarding the actual cool. explanation of the rules, though, I would say that uh, I'm not—I'm never happy with the comprehensive rules. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I'm always striving for the, for better, um, and I think that there are there are you know improvements that we can continue to make. Things like you know the language that we can use in the comprehensive rules, the uh, the additions of things like learn to play elements. Um, I'm uh, switching gears and looking at creating a new hero's handbook um over this uh over this year just to sort of like how can we create that intermediate rule book for the players who don't want to read the comprehensive rules but uh still want to like look at some of the you know important mechanics that they need to get into their brains so that's actually really um, good um yeah it, it's not a question that i had here but it's one that comes up on a lot of my 
more beginner friendly videos. Like whenever I, whenever I do a video reviewing like the Blitz starter decks or whatever, people always ask for or ask if there is like a little rule book for players. And my my answer is, well, they used to do it. The original hero <laughs> decks had this tiny little book that had rules in it, but they haven't since then. So um, having something like that is something that I think a decent amount of people in the community would be very happy with. Yeah, and I think I think there's avenue to explore some other aspects to that as well. And that is, um, this is this is my sort of thoughts about it. But I would really love to see, uh, really love to some tournament rules in there as well mm. just sort of outline player yeah. expectations like hey you're turning up to your call time here are the materials that you need here is how like the swiss rounds are going to be these are your rights for when you can and can't concede and, you know those sorts of things i think are important for you know getting bridging that gap between you know a casual player and a competitive player where they you know dipping their toes in their water uh, dipping their toes into the first competitive event at a calling or a battle hardened and just having a small, short, succinct resource for those sorts of things, I think is really critical. And um, that's going to be one of my next avenues for uh, for development. Yeah, that's, yeah it's that's quite daunting, great. isn't it, for new players? They don't know how a tournament structure works. They're going to want something <laughs> I mean, like that to, to do. <laughs> I, I feel like, yeah, it's absolutely. like it's like almost like when you're transitioning from being like, a young adult into adulthood when you first have to file your taxes because it's not like you ever took any classes <laughs> yeah. on filing your taxes right you just have to learn or have someone tell you how to do it and that's kind of how it you is just need a pamphlet them. on you just need a pamphlet to file your taxes that would be ideal right yeah <laughs> you get your diploma yeah, you, from high school that? and they you give you a pamphlet that in the blitz decks <laughs> a <laughs> pamphlet yeah just a pamphlet what, on how to do taxes how to do like, taxes yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> brilliant <laughs> what american or do we do localizations like uh, <laughs> yeah, do <laughs> yeah it'll it'll only be new zealand tax law but translated into different <laughs> oh, that's uh, i I'm, I'm afraid that that is going to be disappointing it's going to be bittersweet for some people most people don't file taxes in new zealand it's all like automatic so oh that would be nice well, well maybe it would yeah. be a nice short read <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh only if you really own a business or contracting work do you really sort of start to get involved with tax oh, okay uh, well most of the time it's yeah i'd have to do it's taxes like... <laughs> then anyway so i was like even if i lived yeah. in new zealand i'd have to do taxes so there's that <laughs> we're, we're a lot we're a lot easier though it's i, I think uh, as far as i'm aware but anyway enough tax talk <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. no i i think it's <laughs> i think it's a really smart thing uh to do so yeah that that's awesome and i know like i said a lot of folks are gonna like look forward to something like that especially the part about the you know, catching people up to expectations for um, tournaments and that kind of stuff. So that's really good. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And you know, coming coming from other card games as well, minute differences that I think people need to be aware of. And concession rules is the one that always springs to mind. But other things like yeah. deck checking and yeah. um, what you need to have on hand, and even just small things like what exactly are legal. Like you know, obviously we've been talking about multi language cards. Um, having multi-language cards be legal is is an important make, uh, aspect to make sure yeah. people are aware of. And then I'm, I'm sure it's probably corner case, but people will probably always ask about like altered cards and artist proofs and all this kind of stuff that I'm I'm sure would get like you know make, making it clear is is really nice. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, sweet. So I have one more question on my list here. Um, and it's more of a specific question than a general question. So it says, 
Is there a timing window where it is okay to change the cards and or order of cards you pitched after you announced the play and pitched? So that's an interesting question. And we've covered this a little bit in the uh, tournament rules and update, um, which I highly suggest that if you're interested in this level of specificity when it comes to tournaments, uh, you should be paying attention to the, the wording and the aspect in there. Um, so come under reversing actions basically you've made a legal play you've committed to it but you've realized that you need, you've made a mistake and you need to reverse it um so if somebody hasn't committed an action yet so typically they play a card they pitch, or maybe they pitch a card before they played and out of order mm-hmm. and then they're like oh actually no i need to pitch this blue card like that that is fine because you haven't actually committed anything to your opponent uh you haven't committed to any particular action um, and we can't force you to play a card after you've pitched a card. Like, we don't play the game for you. Um, but once you've committed an action, you've made a decision defending cards, you've played a card, you've pitched for it, or you've um, said, like, you know, no block or something like that. There is a window where, you know, you can reverse that. Typically, um, the first avenue is to make sure that your opponent is okay with it, being like, oh, sorry, no, I didn't mean to pitch that card. Um, I just, you know, no blocks. Oh, wait, no, sorry, I just want to block with that card. Like, typically it's revo- uh, resolved between players first, um, and that's just how to keep the game going. We don't have to involve judges every single, uh, you know, every single time there's a, smi- a small mistake. But if a, an opponent doesn't want to allow it and says, look, you've committed to it, like, let's just play the game, um, you can call a judge over. Typically a judge um, will not allow you to reverse an action especially at professional level, um, because they can't guarantee that you haven't gained any additional information. Like, you play a card, look for a reaction. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to play that one. Like, right. you know, those yeah. sorts of things are, are where we want to remove that. We want to remove the abuse, right? We want to remove um, people abusing the rules to be able to gain an advantage. So typically a, a, a judge will be like, no, we, we don't want to. Um, we, I'm not going to reverse the action because I can't. I don't know if you've gained information. Um, but at things like um, streams and whatnot, we, we'd be a little bit more attentive. The judge was there and can like see it. Um, they can obviously know whether or not they like immediately you know, said, oh, sorry, I want to change that interaction. I haven't gained any information. Um, and the rules surrounding that are... Nothing really has changed in that regard. Nothing has really changed um, for tournaments from the tournament rules and policy. It's just that we've solidified a lot of how the game is already played between players, you know. Um, I even see at professional level opponents allowing players to take their cards back, and, um, you know, I think that's all part of the the game. Like, I think it's all part of the experience and the camaraderie and the sportsmanship. Um, And so that's why we've solidified that in the TRP. And then having this other sort of, like, small small way or small uh, window of being able to take things back, but in a fair manner, I think, just contributes more towards making sure that we're maintaining the game's integrity um then taking away from it if they could you know if that could be abused nice yeah well thank you so much for coming on um do you bill or as have any follow-up questions for joshua here that's right. Yeah, I think everything's everything's pretty much been covered. Or the only thing that's uh, that's on there, which could be a nice way to cap it, uh, cap it off, is like the funniest judge call that you've ever had to oh, okay. yeah, make, or or, or, a, or a silly story about the rule or something like that. <laughs> so, we if you if you become part of the judge community, and I highly suggest that if you're interested in becoming a judge, 
that you give it a try and see if it's right for you. Um, judges love to share stories. They love to share like the stories about calls they've made, tournaments they've been to, organization, like everything. Um, and I don't want to take anybody's thunder away from them by sharing somebody else's story. So I thought I'd maybe maybe I should share one of mine. Um, I yeah. was doing a uh, road to nationals, I think it was, up in Wellington. I traveled up there. I had uh, done one the day before, and then I um, traveled a little bit further up from Wellington to do another. And it was near the end of the day. It's the end of Swiss rounds. It's top tables. These two people locked for top eight. Uh, we had had huge amount of problems like throughout the day. Like we had Jim not agreeing with the the player uh, the player scores and whatnot. We had to repair. We had to do some like manual pairing. I think by like the fourth round we were finally on track and simmer down and whatnot. And then um, some judge calls started like propping up as they do near the end of uh, the rounds and i get a call from the top table and i'm like i'm in the middle of a judge call but it's the top table so i need to make sure that this one like gets attended to first i'm the only judge on stuff and it's like 40 players go to the top table and they're like um judge uh if you're in the middle of call it's fine you don't have to deal with this right now like we're both in top eight but um another situation and i'm looking down he's playing uh, i think it was was it bolton or chain i think it might have been bolton and he's like um so I put my hand onto my lap, uh, not my cards, just my hand. And then I brought my hand back up again, and I accidentally flipped all of the cards in my banish zone on top of my deck. And now we can't tell where my banish zone stops and my deck begins. Uh... And I'm like, my brain just froze in a moment. Because <laughs> as a judge, there's, there are certain situations that happen like quite often that you just like, off the cuff, you know what to do. Like, you know what questions to ask, you know, like, what to ask the opponent you can ask them to confirm you know what infraction it comes under in that moment my brain just like shut off because <laughs> i was just like in the middle of this other judge call and i'm just like this is not something i've seen before um <laughs> can you pause for one moment because i'll solve this other thing and then i'll come back and i'll dedicate some amount of like brain space to so i solved this judge call and i'm like it turned out to be a relatively easy um, because the the two cards the, the card like line up, um, essentially when the banish zone gets flipped, it gets flipped and then reverse order on top okay. of the deck. Yeah. So I basically did the confirmation of uh, do you remember what was the top of the banish zone? Uh, I think it was like a blue um, uh, that go again card from Bolton. Um, oh, um, take, take flight is. or something like that. Take flight, yeah, it was a blue take flight. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I start, like, you know, take the deck away, um, you know, in private, like, look through. Okay, yeah, no, it is reversed. Blue come to fight. Okay, uh, blue um, take flight. Okay, solved. But it was just, like, in that moment, I was just thinking, like, this is one of those dexterity errors that you just simply can't account for in policy. And, like, dexterity. You know, we can, we can, we can oh, write God. tournament rules of policy and ppg like all day long there's no way that we're going to catch absolutely and this is just one of those like situations where it's like it's not the player's fault like this could happen to everyone but it just so happened he knocked it perfectly on top of the deck that if you look <laughs> wow. at the deck could not tell which way the cards were facing <laughs> that's, 
Oh, brilliant. Hilarious. Oh. I imagine for the players, it's one of those situations where it's like, don't don't touch it, don't touch it. We we don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just call it touch. Just yeah. call it touch. Yeah. yeah. Both players are just yeah. sitting there with their hands up. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Yeah. yeah. Don't touch anything. Yeah. Oh. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. Well. <laughs> Um, Great way to cap it off. <laughs> yeah, we, we typically have uh, what we call loosely the arsenal step, or what, what do you have in your arsenal, where we talk about something outside of Flesh and Blood. So if you have a, a minute or so, we, we, talk, we don't normally toss this to our guest, but uh, if you don't have something, don't worry about it. It's just uh, something that you're passionate about currently that's outside of the world of Flesh and Blood. Um, for example, a- Alan, Alan Hale talked about a weird story that had to do with Burger King. So just to put that into context. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I have no idea. I don't know. I've blood, uh, the flesh and blood whole now. I can't remember what I even did like yesterday. What have I been doing lately? Um, I don't know. I've been playing. Uh, I played a little bit of uh, Vampire Survivors. Lately. Oh. You played that game? Yeah, that, that's a fun game. Yeah. I had a, a big kick recently of playing survivors type games. Uh, Vampire oh, survivors is like top tier. <laughs> I what a, what an addicting game! I tell you what, like <laughs> if <laughs> it's so like repetitive, but so like it just delves right into the basis of uh, the human reward system with uh, you know just rewarding you for spending as much time as you can on it, <laughs> uh, but. It's for for those of you who uh, don't know, Vampire Survivor, like just a little. It's a survivor game, lit hell almost, um, and it's the most minimalistic game that you can create. Like you literally just have directions, and you can choose what weapons you pick up, and you try to survive as long as you can. And you know you get different levels and different characters and different unlocks, and the game just sort of explodes in complexity. But has again that foundation that we were talking about that allows you to. Um, and yeah, I have had a bit of fun, bit of fun playing that. That's about, that's about all else I've been up to. Nice. Nice. Um, That's fair. Hey, like for me, I've mostly, it's just been all work, all work on the channel. And then I've been slowly plotting my way through like the resident evil four remake. So I I know how it is. It's like an hour at a time, you know, like a day or, you know, whatever, but yeah, it's a bit there, but there just to sort of unwind and uh, dress, uh, so way to go. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us yeah. about judging rules and all that good stuff. We really appreciate your time. So thank you. No worries. Thank you very much, everyone. I really appreciate uh, you guys have been doing for the community. Um, I do listen in uh, as often as I can when you guys every. It's a pleasure to uh, finally get to meet uh, you, Bill and Az, and I hope I get to meet all three of you sometime this um, I know that you're you're not heading to to a more yourself, um, Kel. Hey, no, I'm but, not going to be able to make uh, it this time. That's unfortunate, but I'm sure that there will be plenty of other opportunities that we'll get to catch uh, catch up with each other in the future. So uh, I look yeah. forward to it. Yeah, all, all yeah. three of us currently are planning to go to Worlds. So that's this year. That that's our Perfect. event on the horizon. We all plan to go to Worlds. So. Wherever that may be, very much <laughs> something something to look forward to. <laughs> I, I, I've never been to Europe, so like no matter where it is, I'm gonna be pretty stoked. So I'm I get to go someplace new. So that's really cool. 
perfect easy <laughs> yeah. um nice. and uh yeah we'll do our little sign-offs here uh joshua do you have any place where people can follow you or are you more of just kind of like a um i'm i'm an amorphous i'm an amorphous cloud that hovers everywhere right now. okay um but if you're interested in becoming a judge uh, you can hit up uh judge hub at uh judge.fabtcg.com um, and you can also join our Discord if you want to be involved in the conversation. Um, otherwise, participating online in the Facebook groups, um, get in contact with a uh, you know your local uh, you know your judge uh, coordinator in your local region or um, with our judge program manager Klaus. Um, otherwise, I just pop into conversations every now and then, occasionally. All right, excellent. Well, it sounds great. Um, and uh, we'll toss it over to As. As, where can everyone find you? Yeah, so I'm Az from Go Again Gaming. And speaking about judges and rules and all this sort of thing, I've got a new Ultimate Pit Fight series coming out soon. And uh, the new episode's going to drop this week. Nice. Took me a long time to do the first one. But we're speaking of judges and what have you, Ty Panis is going to be in this particular episode. And he does play with people's lives at the very end of the, at the, very end of the show. So it's uh, definitely one worth tuning into. Uh, which is going to be on Go Again Gaming, so go check that out. But uh, on YouTube, so yeah, that's uh, exciting stuff for me. Perfect. Typanus yeah, is gross. absolutely. Typanus has won every single UPF game that I've played with Typanus in it. So right now for me, Typanus is like kill on sight. I'm like, you're playing Typanus. Yeah. And... yeah. Underdog, man. Underdog. Yeah. He's quality. Um, but... And how about you, Bill? Where can everyone find you? Uh, I am Bill from the Spike Feeders. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BillTSF. I tweet e extremely infrequently, but uh, if mm. you ever need to contact me uh, and you're not in any of the discords that I'm in, that's where you can do so. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube at, uh, fa or at Spike Feeders Fab. That's terrifying that I forgot the, own the name of my own channel. <laughs> um, but uh, also just a cool shout out. We just hit 2,500 subscribers on there. So nice. uh, we're, nice. we're, we're doing some good stuff. <laughs> and if anybody uh, listens to this and also watches the channel, thank you for supporting us. Appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, I'm Kel, also known as Red Zone Rogue. You can find me everywhere at Red Zone Rogue. I've kept the branding very consistent. So basically about anywhere. But I mostly, you can mostly find me on uh, Twitter and uh, YouTube. And also this week, currently the day that this podcast goes live you can also find me and bill over on the official flesh and blood youtube channel for the last episode of the skirmish gauntlet there and uh it's going to be a really fun one it's going to be benji versus arachne so tune in for that it, it might be up before or after this podcast but it's coming up around the same time so definitely go check it out and uh yeah. nice. thanks for watching, a good everyone. one <laughs> yeah it was a good one see you next time thank you